Hi, I'm Brett Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. In July, when the BC provincial government enacted new rules and regulations governing the sale of vaping products in the province, it gave retailers until September 15th to sell off non-compliant product and adjust inventories to meet the new BC-specific packaging and device specifications. With the deadline only days away, the industry is waiting for the BC provincial government to provide critical clarifications that promise to ease compliance burdens and to harmonize the new rules with existing federal government regulations under the TVPA. Joining us today on RegWatch is Sam Tam, president of the Canadian Vaping Association, to discuss what the industry needs in order to navigate the new regulatory environment and to learn what critical clarifications the province has indicated it might deliver before the deadline. Sam, thanks for coming back on the show. Before we begin, a heads up to our viewers outside of BC, we'll be addressing developments in Nova Scotia, PEI, and Quebec near the end of today's show, and we'll have more coverage on those topics in coming episodes. Sam, well, here we are. Let's jump in uh, quickly. Uh, give us an idea what the BC regs are and what's the deadline. So, regulations uh, under the uh, new e-substance regulations uh, have uh, put in place uh, a number of measures uh, to govern the vape industry in British Columbia. And of course, the deadline is tomorrow, uh, September 15th. So the deadline is, uh, is, is technically a day away. So the concerns, of course, to the industry is um, not only did the industry recently, uh, you know, restock all their inventory to meet federal regulations, uh, which was uh, coming into force, that came into force on July the 1st, uh, now they have to, of course, um, uh, change their inventory to meet BC regulations coming from the vape industry. Um, and of course, the uh, when it comes to the transition period, it isn't a really a lot of time for them to uh, transition uh, their products to meet BC uh, regulations. So where we're at then here now is that there's a discrepancy between BC and federal and the, all the vape shops have just gone through and manufacturers have just gone through complying with the federal on the labeling side and the BC side is different. And so this is a real issue then. And it, you know, the whole industry was very focused on being compliant to the federal regulations um, because it required a lot of changes. Not only were we looking at labeling and packaging, uh, we were also looking at um, the entire industry's inventory from not only from the manufacturing distribution side, but into the retail vape shop. So a lot of them have made the investment to stock their shelves to meet, of course, federal regulations. And uh, now to really have a very short period of time to either sell through their existing products that they have. Um, and of course, uh, the window uh, is quite short. I mean, the deadline is tomorrow and a lot of stores are concerned uh, because they do want to be compliant, the only issue is, you know, they, they would like a little bit more clarity on the rules of uh, what is. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the retail vendors are confused in regards to uh, the, uh, I guess, being plain. Right. Unfortunately, your mic, uh, your audio there is dropping out. I'm not certain what we can do, considering that we're lucky to be connected. Let's just keep on going and I'll, I'll let you know if I need you to re repeat. Um, just maybe remake that last point for us, Sam. So the retailers is not only did they recently transition all their inventory, 
uh, to meet federal regulations. The uh, concern is the window of opportunity. Of course, the deadline is tomorrow, uh, and a lot of them are seeking clarity on regards to uh, the definition of plain packaging. Right, right not only on the manufacturing wholesale side, uh, you know, a, a lot of people are really seeking that clarity, right? Because they do want to be compliant, and I think, uh, you know, the industry has been working really hard to be compliant within a short period of time, and I think. You know, the clarity is really what they're looking for. And, uh, you know, and I think, uh, unfortunately, we're, we will have to wait until we uh, have announcement from the B.C. government in regards to the regulation itself. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we spoke about this, this issue last week, there was an, an expectation that the B.C. government was going to be releasing some form of a statement prior to the deadline that would help clarify these issues so vaping retailers in British Columbia could, you know, try, have an extra seven, 14 days, you know, to get compliant. What happened with that? Explain that, that development that didn't happen. So let's, let's talk about the written statement. So, you know, it's really important um, for the viewers to understand we, the Canadian Vaping Association submitted a policy recommendation to the BC uh, government, uh, to the Ministry of Health, uh, identifying some are key issues, right? One of them, of course, is the definition of plain packaging. Uh, the other, of course, is the two milliliter tank capacity limit. Um, that, of course, is a concern because we also need to meet federal regulations in regards to child resistance uh, containers. And, of course, um, you know, concerns in regards to the bottle size, right? Um, you know, uh, if we look at the federal regulations, there is no cap on bottle sizes, and it's really important for us to have, be able to have the, um, the real estate to put all the required information on the labels. You know, when it comes to the notification timeline and transition period, one of the things that we really wanted to ask was an extension, right? If we look at the federal level, the government normally provides, uh, you know, 180 days transition period, right? Here, you know, we're really only having a transition period of roughly about 60 days, which is not a lot of time for retail vendors to transitions or inventory uh, and of course to pave way for the um, inventory that would be compliant to bc regulations especially when they just uh, trans converted all their inventory to meet federal guidelines so one of the key things was that uh, when it comes to the clarity on plain packaging uh, the uh, bc government has agreed that uh, you know um, that uh, their requirements that you know if we go back and reading the guidelines that were put out by the bc government of course, um, required information that they're looking for, uh, you know, manufacturer information, product name, uh, you know, descriptions, uh, you know, in terms of what the product is, you know, nicotine concentration level, volume needs to be there. But most important, they do ask um, manufacturers to comply with not only provincial regulations, but uh, to the uh, uh, federal regulations under the vaping products labeling and packaging regulations. So you need to meet both requirements. The confusion really uh, comes to is when the definition of plain, a lot of people are quite confused. Does that mean plain packaging? Um, what does plain manner really mean? And I think the definition that was being used was uh, plain in a plain manner. And a lot of people are uncertain what the plain manner uh, really means, and it's not clearly defined. So a lot of uh, manufacturers and retailers, of course, were looking for clarity in that regard. So when we had our discussion with the BC government, 
uh, what we really did get was we need to comply with the TVPA. And the CB uh, requested a written statement uh, to provide a little bit more clarity so not only retail vendors in British Columbia, but all manufacturers in Canada understand what the requirement is. Right. And so, so it's, you know, good luck trying to get a written statement out of the government. <laughs> so, I mean, what happened there, I guess, obviously, clearly no statement. For a statement, um, the ministry has um, uh, provided us that uh, they can get us a written statement. I think there's a lot going on, as we can see uh, with COVID-19, the numbers are up. And of course, the government's efforts and focus and priority will be, of course, uh, tackling the issues of, uh, of COVID-19. I think the most important thing is uh, we are still waiting for this written statement. Um, and of course, there's not just only the written statement, but we have to kind of understand what the government, um, if they are looking to review some of our requests and potentially make any changes and amendments, that has to go through a whole process of uh, going back up to the government, uh, sure. you know, of course, presenting it to the health minister. Um, and of course, that's going to take time, right? So I think really the challenge is, of course, there's a deadline that's looming tomorrow. Um, and of course, we have not yet heard from the British uh, Colombian government. And I think the industry has the right to be concerned, you know, because, you know, it shows that we do want to be compliant and we're just really afraid. And of course, a lot of retailers are really afraid that, um, you know, when enforcement comes, you know, they're not really quite sure what to do, um, you know, and uh, and I think really that's really the key. And I think what we really need to address to BC retailers is, you know, the government, um, whether it's federal or provincial, um, they're not to go out and enforce and find retail stores. Their goal is to ensure that the vape industry is compliant and I think, uh, you know, what we have to really understand that is, you know, as the, you know, what we need to really show is that we are making steps to be compliant. So what that really means is, you know, anything higher than 20 milligrams um, in stock on your shelves, right? Uh, you shouldn't have any bottles that are greater than uh, 60 ml, uh, you know, greater than 30 ml on your shelves. Um, and of course, Restricted shouldn't have flavors on their shelves, right? And of course, you know, if you have nicotine-free products, those are also should be off your shelves. So I think one of the guidance that we can provide is really to tell retail vendors, check your inventory to make sure those items are not in stock. And when it comes to the labeling and packaging, you know, we can always deal with that. All we really need to focus on is to comply with the TVPA and the VPLPR. And of course, uh, you know, that's the best that we can really do until we get more clarity. And of course, the, uh, the written statement that the industry is waiting for. What about the issues around the tank uh, sizes, the four mil, two mil issue? Um, to uh, to uh, the BC government in regards to uh, removing the two milliliter uh, tank capacity limit. And the, there's, a, there's a reason for that. You know, the industry has been working really hard uh, to not only redesign, but retool child-resistant tanks uh, and any open pot systems, any refillable vaping devices to meet federal regulations. And that really means that they have to be child-resistant. So, you know, I think what we really need to do is, you know, there's a lot of product out there. I would have to say more than 95% of the vaping, um, refillable vaping tanks and devices that are not child-resistant. 
right? Um, and I think one of the clarities that we provided to the BC government is that, you know, at least more than 90% of those products uh, in Europe, even though they have a two milliliter tank capacity limit, uh, they don't meet the child resistant requirement. Uh, they don't have the ISO certification uh, or do they have the mechanism uh, that would deem them child resistant? So, and how we knew, how we know about that is, you know, we've been working with the uh, manufacturers, uh, you know, since the beginning of the year, looking at redesigning and retooling. And that's really when we found out that, you know, a lot of the uh, two million in the uh, European Union are not CRC. Uh, and it's interesting because that is a requirement under TBD2 that, uh, you know, reclosable uh, vaping containers, which includes uh, tanks, of course, need to be child resistant. Um, and, you know, that's under, of course, CLP. Um, but, you know, what's really interesting is that, um, no, you know, a lot of the uh, manufacturers in Europe um, didn't really provide enough guidance to the manufacturers in China uh, in regards to the requirements. So, when we started that process, redesigning, retooling products, sending it to the lab for testing. And I think one of the major challenges that we identified was, you know, during COVID, you know, um, it was quite impossible to do your testing because the testing requires to have roughly about 200 kids. Um, of course, try to attempt to open the, uh, the tank in, in a five minute time period. Um, but the challenge is really trying to get the 200 kids to conduct the test, right? So majority of the labs in Europe were closed, uh, and we can only rely on a handful of labs that were accredited, you know, um, where we could actually use them, right? So what we've ended up doing was we selected a few accredited laboratories under um, the uh, Health Canada. We we can use these labs. Um, and of course, uh, once we got the uh, thumbs up to use the labs, then we sent it for testing. But a lot of people don't understand how long the testing really takes. It takes about five to six weeks to complete the test. And of course, um, if they don't pass uh, the preliminary test, it doesn't even get, get past the final test. We'll have to send it back to the manufacturers and uh, go through the whole redesigning phase to make sure that we do meet the CRC requirements and then send it back for testing. So there's a lot of time involved, and I think one of the key things is the industry is already racing towards uh, providing CRC products. Um, but at the same time, majority of these CRC products are not uh, do not meet the two milliliter capacity that BC uh, the BC government requires. So there, so BC is is in a couple of key spots, kind of off uh, the other federal regulatory trend, or actually what is accomplishable by the industry. I think our our our, uh, our request here is really if if we, if federally we need to make these products child resistant, then need for two milliliter capacity limit because I think our goal is really to uh, prevent the accidental poison ingestion, and if the uh, you know refillable tanks and pods need to be child resistant, there's really no way for a young child to get access to the e-liquid and accidentally ingest it. So I think um, this is the reason what we put forward. And I think where um, the BC government uh, might have thought all as well that all two milliliter tank capacity sold in the European Union are child resistant. Um, but the truth is they are not, right? And uh, we know that going through the certification process uh, because if they were, we would just easily be able to ask the manufacturers for the certification 
uh, and we wouldn't have those issues, right? And I think what we really addressed was, you know, we cannot send retail vendors in BC to stock their shelves with two milliliter tank capacity product when they can only sell them for a couple months and they're not going to be compliant to the federal regulations, right? Because they still need to be child resistant. And unfortunately, 90% of the product don't meet the CRC requirements. Uh, so in the conversations then with the BC provincial government, uh, did you get movement or at least you think there's movement on that issue? I guess so. when it comes to the plain packaging, uh, you know, at least harmonizing to the federal and when it, when it comes time, you know, to the tank capacity issue, um, did they communicate to you that that they were going to move on those issues and, and solve them? And then so the issue is right now, you know, the deadline's tomorrow. And so that hasn't been announced yet. So that's the problem. Or is there concern that they might not be fixing those issues? You're going to have to start that uh, answer again, Sam. Valid concern, uh, and uh, I, I can tell you that the BC government did acknowledge it's a valid concern, right? Um, and of course, it's mainly because, you know, if we only have, you know, until the, uh, January 1st to meet CRC requirements, uh, that doesn't really give us a lot of time, right? If we have to put all our energy and focus on with the manufacturer to create two milliliter products that meet those requirements. And I think one of the key concerns is going back to look at the regulatory impact analysis to retool, redesign, and restock all the entire inventory to meet CRC, you know, the government has put that as a $9 million cost to the industry, right, um, which is quite significant. And we've been working on this for the greater part of this year, and a lot of investment's been already been made, right, from inventorying, redesigning, retooling, getting everyone to, to start stocking these products. Um, those, those are the challenges. Like, how do we go about focusing on creating two milliliter tanks uh, and products for just the BC market, right? That's going to be very hard and we're not going to be able to meet those deadlines. Um, you know, if we look at, we address, there's not much out there that's child resistant. And what's that, what's really going to happen is you're really only going to put a handful of products in the marketplace, um, you know, uh, that are going to be available, right? Uh, stores are only going to be able to stock those items. And, Unfortunately, a lot of those items are only controlled by a handful of players in the industry, predominantly uh, big tobacco companies, right? Two milliliter closed pot systems would be exempted from it. Um, but, you know, we have to really look at uh, what the federal government's put in place uh, and the whole industry's making those uh, requirements, right? Uh, working on those requirements so we're compliant to the federal regulations. So, and I think just at the real start of that answer was, yes, are, are, are the B is the BC provincial government going to move on these issues or no? Was it yes or no? Yes. Yes. They, okay. did, they did address it as a being a concern. And of course, that's something that they're going to look into. So what, what's happening here is I, I think uh, your microphone, uh, what it's doing is with Skype or between the two, uh, when you pause uh, for a, a period of time, it kind of shuts the mic off and it's got a lag there before it picks up. So your first couple of words... Um, are we're missing them, but we'll keep plugging along here. Um, we're just thankful that we have the connection. So, and it sounds good when we can hear it. Um, okay, so you know, I've been meaning to ask you this, you know, in our shows because you know you've got a, a strong, you know, unlike I would say, unlike some of the associations in the U.S., Canada enjoys the representation from the, of the CDA. And there is a strong connection with the device manufacturers in, in, in China. 
how are they overall, you know, kind of, I mean, I'm sure it's, they're not very appreciative of, of some of the regulations, but I mean, BC is a pretty small market. And so to go through all that uh, expense and pain in the ass to, you know, placate uh, the BC provincial government, isn't there just the risk that the device manufacturers are going to say, you know, forget about BC? Right, uh, the Canadian market is not a not a very significant market to a lot of these manufacturers. Um, you know, of course, America, United States is their largest market, and of course, followed by the European Union. Uh, but one of the key things that a lot of these manufacturers understand is that they they know that the price that they're selling uh, is now being regulated across the world. Right, so if we look at EU. You know, they, they can't just sell their products there. They have to notify the government and wait six months till they can sell it. Uh, we know that, um, you know, that's happening in the United States as well. They have to go through the PMT process. And here in Canada, they also need to be uh, federal regulations. So a lot of them are starting to understand that, you know, in order for them to uh, succeed or be successful, uh, they have to comply with uh, government regulations, right? They're, uh, you know, back in the days of being able to just produce a product, and sell into marketplace has changed, right? Now there's a lot of uh, requirements. Uh, not only do they need to be CRC, they need to be safe, right? Um, there's, uh, of course, the electrical systems now that has been developed um, through the FDA, by the FDA and Health Canada. I, I sat on that panel. Uh, you know, we had to ensure that all the electrical systems meet those require safe requirements so we could avoid, you know, battery incidents from happening, right? So we know... There's regulations, manufacturers know now that uh, it's playing an important role to determine their success in the future. Well, and that's very good to hear, um, no doubt. So what can be done here? I mean, if you're a retailer, like you said, so let's just reiterate that and some mindful of the mic. So as of close of business tomorrow, I guess, when you wake up on the 16th, right? Uh, you know, at midnight on the 16th, don't have any liquid that's got anything over 20 milligrams per milliliter of nicotine um, on your shelf, don't have, um, what else don't have? Those are greater than 30 milliliter. So, okay, uh, so that's right. You cut out again there. So the 30 milliliter cap for size of bottles. And do you believe that they're going to lift that to 60 mil? Because CVA has been asking for that, correct? I don't, uh, you know, I'm not quite certain whether the BC government will, uh, you know, uh, uh, take our request in regards to bottle sizes. And I think we, we've uh, addressed that. You know, it's really important where there's no federal cap on bottle sizes, right? And one of the most important things is because if we look at uh, the current label, you know, just look at a 30 mil. I'll, I'll hold one up here, Brett. You know, we don't have enough space, as you can see, all the mandatory required information. You've got your war uh, health warning statement. You've got your uh, toxicity information. Um, you know, you got, uh, you know, pretty much all the required information. And, of course, we don't have enough space to even put the ingredients. We have to utilize a tag. Right. Um, and if you don't use a tag, you, of course, you can also use an exterior package such as a box. Um, but if you look, you know, we all, this is all the space you have for branding. So there isn't a lot of real estate. So one of the key things is if we were able to 
um, increase the bottle capacity to 60 milliliter, we can put uh, more additional information on there, right? Things like keep away from, from children, uh, you know, consumer safety information that we could add on to there that gives us a lot more real estate. And I think that's one of the key things that we want to really to address, right? So if there's no federal cap on bottle sizes, you know, why should we have uh, a cap? On, uh, uh, for the province of BC. And I think one of the key things is these bottles are already child resistant. So there's really no issues in regards to uh, having uh, accidental poison ingestion. I think one of the key things is, you know, if we want to ensure that uh, we have all the required information on there, you know, we shouldn't look at capping the bottle sizes, right? And I'm showing right now the actual document that you shared and used in your discussions with the BC provincial government. Yeah, there's not a lot of room for branding. I mean, it's pretty much plain packaging as it is. You know, when, once you, you know, squish it with all of the health warnings and so forth. Yeah. One thing we need to address is also to BC, um, you know, to the BC industry and to manufacturers is, you know, I think one of the key things where the BC government's really concerned is um, where companies are having images of, you know, potentially characters or, you know, um, animals or whatever it could be cartoon characters you know we already know that's already against the law based on federal regulations we don't really we can't really have those images most manufacturers um, don't really have those type of images on their labels anymore right a lot of people are just using text uh, enough text where you could uh, describe um, what the product is but that's pretty much all we were really putting in there i think when we talk about the canadian vape industry we have to kind of address that you know we've been really responsible the industry has been really trying to uh, be compliant and, of course, um, you know, to comply with government regulations. And we haven't um, really seen a lot of the, um, you know, in terms of the, you know, child appealing type labels, you know, that still pre predominantly exists in a lot of other countries, like even in the EU. Um, you know, there's no regulations when it comes to labeling and packaging, but also even in the United States, you know, really strict regulations when it comes to labeling and packaging and that's where we see the issues right so not so much for Canada I think we have one of the more uh, mo most restrictive regulations in the entire world um, but the industry is willing to comply and I think we need to ensure that all provinces understand that you know uh, we can't just take something that we see in the media and say look um, you know there's cotton candy flavor and all of this well we can't name it cotton candy so you know, it's no longer appealing to kids and it's, uh, you know, the industry has been extremely responsible when it, when it comes to that. I just saw uh, uh, a news story on CTV. It was either, it must have been late last week. And of course, they still got a still shot on their, their online, you know, printed story and they still got a shot of unicorn milk. Uh, and that's like from 2016, 2015. I mean, when was, I don't know when the last time that was sold, but they just never stop pulling out all of the old, you know, puke things and cotton candy stuff. It's just never ending. Fortunate, you know, and, and you know, we, we kind of have to keep the media updated and informed. And, you know, uh, Daryl's been doing a great job doing that. Who's, um, if many viewers are not familiar with Daryl Tempest, he's our executive director. And, you know, we, we try to inform the media to let them know that, you know, uh, whatever you're using in terms of your news story doesn't really apply to Canada anymore. I mean, you know, uh, when it comes to 
unicorns and things like that, you know, we cannot use those type of images or character. It's, it's been it's been forbidden in the TVPA for some time now, right? And I think we have to look at today's labeling when it comes to uh, our vaping products here in Canada. You know, it's uh, it's it's fully compliant there, and the whole industry wants to be compliant, right? So, you know, we're we're more than uh, willing to um, ensure that these products are not appealing to uh, to youth. And I mean, that's really important for people to understand. I mean, the industry wants to be compliant and that's, uh, and that's after several years of, you know, being very concerned about whether or not there was still going to be an industry, even though we had just been legalized. Yeah. And I think a lot has to do with, if we have to look at um, a lot of the uh, vaping retailers and even the people in the industry, a lot of them are, you know, um, you know, family-owned business, or you know, some would say, uh, you know, mom and pop, and really, that's how the industry started, right? Indi uh, individuals that have quit um, smoking, you know, through vaping, a lot of them open retail stores because they want to be able to, to you know, um, you know, of course, uh, people that they do that they know that this this product has worked for them, and I think uh, we have to really look at this. This industry was built by independence, and I think, you know. You know, if they have a lot to lose, um, and that's why if we look at our industry, everybody wants to be compliant is because they put so much effort into it. They don't want to be uh, irresponsible, right? They want to comply with uh, the regulation. So to ensure that the government sees our industry is compliant and that, uh, you know, we, we can focus on harm reduction, which is really more important, right? Being able to offer this uh, less harmful alternative to smokers and having the ability to, um, to in the future, use relative risk statements. You know, we've been waiting for that for a long time, but we know harm reduction is not the uh, priority that the government is looking at the current moment. It's the uh, youth uptake issue, right? And I right. think, you know, one of the key things is that we know that, um, you know, if there's been that's being retracted, um, and it's really an important step that, you know, we, we focus on being compliant. Um, and again, we can then reach out and talk about harm reduction. And I think when we talk about the BC government, Brent, you know, uh, Adrian Dix, uh, uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix did say, you know, harm reduction, um, you know, they do believe that vaping is a harm reduction alternative. Um, but again, you know, we will get back to that once we deal with the youth vaping issue. Right. And um, the youth vaping issue, we'll, we'll, let's talk about that in a minute. Before we do, because we're going to transition um, to that, I wanted to bring up uh, some comments that we're receiving on Facebook uh, from some BC retailers. And I'm just going to toss out what they're saying. And this is uh, from Ryan Green and Kevin Riley, uh, two in particular. Um, one of them is that the BC government is unwittingly turning the market over to closed pod and disposable systems. Is anyone looking at the environmental impact, you know, all the puff bars and so forth out there? So that's an interesting question. Um, and um, Ryan says, I'm usually a pretty positive person and I held out positivity as long as I could. It's not a very good feeling being a BC retailer watching this episode of Red Watch. What do you have to say of that? Because we're not getting a lot of clarity. Um, of course, the deadline is looming. It is tomorrow. Um, but I think most important thing is, you know, when we, it's always going to be bumpy. And it's been bumpy for a while for the vape industry. 
you know, we've had to comply with federal regulations over the past year, uh, making a lot of changes. Um, and, you know, I think the industry is getting a little tired. Um, you know, we've gone through so many labeling changes, uh, packaging changes, um, and tough requirements. And I think where was really missing is that a lot of BC retailers weren't really looking at the work that CV has been putting in regards to trying to get child-resistant products into market. You know, there's going to be a lot of child-resistant products into the market. I can assure you, you know, there will be, you know, uh, that will basically uh, replace a lot of the products that we do have currently that are not CRC. But again, you know, I think um, most important thing is where retailers really need to know, and of course the industry really needs to know is, the CV is really working hard to it, right? We're, we're not, uh, you know, we're not sitting idle and not making sure that we're going to have products to sell. I think the challenge right now we're facing is really uh, during a COVID environment, you know, getting through the certification process and getting through the, uh, the you know, finished product process is taking a little bit more time. When we look at closed pods and disposables, you know, and one thing that I did learn is, you know, and it's interesting is because, you know, I was able to kind of convert my father using one of those because he was a 30 plus year smoker. Um, and, you know, I, I got him set up, you know, with the Kanger uh, EVOD. It never really worked for him. He just didn't get the hang of changing coils and filling the uh, the tanks. Um, you know, when I switched him over to uh, something that was much more easier to use, you know, he was able to kind of stay on track and, you know, he hasn't touched a cigarette since. I think one of the key things we need to look at when it comes to the environment, yes, there, there, there needs to be concern how we deal with these uh, issues with closed pods and disposable. Also, not only that, but how we properly dispose of it, right? You can't just throw them. There's nicotine in it. They also need to be properly disclosed. And that's something that we need to talk to uh, some of these manufacturers. Uh, if they're looking to do business here in Canada, we have to start looking at the environmental impacts on these items, right? And how we can re potentially recycle them. You know, someone's going to have to come up with a, with a program, right? So I think one of the key things is, you know, I, I do really feel strongly tanks and open pods are going to come back into the marketplace, right? Um, once we start having child-resistant products available in the market, uh, there's no doubt they're going to come back. And I think one most important thing is, um, you know, when it comes to uh, e-liquid itself, you know, we all know, um, you know, some of the challenge for a lot of retail vendors is, uh, you know, they're heavily stocked with e-liquid and there's a concern where they might not have the product to fill those, uh, you know, fill the e-liquid uh, into a tank. Um, but I think I can reassure you that CV is working hard on it and we are going to provide uh, products into the marketplace, right? Uh, so that's one of the things that uh, we've been focusing on as our primary objective to ensure we have these products in the, uh, in the Canadian uh, vaping industry. Well, and that is good to hear. I hope BC gets sorted out a little bit. I mean, it's really affected me as a vapor. So um, the nicotine cap, obviously everyone kind of knows I'm, you know, not happy about that, but that's just me as a consumer. You know, I like my nicotine. So, but I totally understand why uh, that has been advanced. Um, so let's take a look here, Sam. This is a national survey. Uh, the U.S. survey shows an encouraging decline in overall youth e-cigarette use concerning uptick. There is still though a concern for the uptick in uh, disposable products. And so this was out last week and it shows uh, 1.8 million fewer U.S. youth are currently using e-cigarettes compared to 2019. So that's a pretty big drop. Once the CVAs, and we've got the Canada numbers too uh, from their 2019, 
as well. We'll take a look at that in a sec. But what's your thoughts, the CVA's thoughts on these U.S. numbers that have been released? You know, we didn't really get a chance to discuss with the rest of the board, but we do. We're really encouraging the government to, you know, let's look at the Canadian data, right? I mean, it's been, you know, if we look at the Hammond study, and of course, if the data is inaccurate, I think one of the key things we need to do is really uh, start a, start getting that study um, going to really uh, whether or not we're really having um, the uh, the youth uptake that uh, that's being described, right? And I think one of the key things is if we look at the on advertising, uh, you know, kids are not going to be exposed anymore in non-age restricted environments. It's going to be much harder for them to know, you know, what new products are coming out, um, you know, what flavors are available. Um, that's all restricted to adults only. It's going to be much harder for them to be exposed here in Canada. I mean, we, we look at, um, you know, if we look at the federal government, they put forward in regards to age verification software, right, at the point of entry harder for for uh, you know young kids to be able to be exposed to these products and I think we need time once we put all these measures in place it'll be much harder for them to be exposed and there's no doubt those we should be able to see the, those numbers to reflect that um, and I think um, you know got the numbers United States um, you know if we you know I'm more in certain Canada you know, if we look at over the years, you know, there's a lot of restrictions being put forward across all provinces, making much more harder for these products to be marketed, but also um, access is also being restricted. You know, we're really encouraging to, to get a new study where we can see, show the numbers to see where we're at here in Canada. Right now, it's, it's a bit difficult because the Canadian government only does their big, huge, you know, the Canadian tobacco and nicotine survey every two years. And so, you know, considering that 2018 was like the explosion year, we don't really have that, you know, covered. So we have 2017, we have 2019, and I've just got up here um, some of the 2019 numbers. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because, um, because we don't have those official numbers um, from the same survey from Canada. But what we do see, though, and this is, you know, interesting in my mind, and the headlines are 36%. Uh, which is 1 million among youth aged 15 to 19 reported using a vaping product in the last 30 days. And um, that is higher than it was in 2017, there's no doubt. The past 30-day vaping was at 15% amongst the same age group of 15 to 19. And here's the 2017, so you know people can judge for themselves on that. I, it's hard without the 2018. Here's what's interesting. In 2019, among youth aged 15 to 19 who used a vape in the past 30 days, most, 57%, reported using social sources for their devices. Social sources included buying from a, fam a friend or family member, asking someone else to buy them for you, and having a friend or family member give or lend them to you. That's 57%. Most are social sources in Canada. So <clears throat> when you look at the, the extent in which that the governments and obviously the anti-vaping groups have demonized vape shop retailers and, and laid it at their feet. I mean, you can't even lay it at convenience stores feet with this kind of data. This, this, is, this is friends and family. Right. Okay, start that, start that again for us, Sam. 
thing is we've known this data and we've been talking to government about social sales, right? How do you how do you enforce social sales, right? And I think what we really need to be clear, and we always talk about where enforcement needs to be strong, is you know, you know, these families and friends don't realize that um, they are breaking the law, right? And uh, you know, we've uh, you know, and I think it really needs to be addressed, right? Um, and I think. You know, if enforcement actions being taken, then, you know, and I think, um, and they know we can realize that they can get fined. And I think Alberta, we've seen the province of Alberta impose, you know, fines, uh, you know, for possession and, of course, selling, uh, you know, doing social sales to minors. I think that's where we really need to start. We need to start looking at putting it out there that, hey, if you do provide a minor with vaping products, you're going to get fined if you get caught. Right. How much do you... Yeah, no, 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 no problem, no problem. And again, I'm just mindful too as well. Your mic was just cutting out, so I I jump in there if I can. So how much of this could be the fact that adults, you know, parents, family, and friends who are of legal age don't consider vaping to be the great evil that, the you know, the media has pumped up? So they would rather, I mean, we've heard lots in our coverage that there are plenty of parents out there that are savvy to the fact that their kids are trying everything and instead of trying the cigarette here's a jewel or other product right instead because i mean we are talking about a world that at least i thought was quite liberal when it comes to the use of stuff like all the parents you know are from the 60s and well and i'm 50 now so i'm one of the parents so we've grown up in the wake of that so i mean certainly you know marijuana's legal all that kind of stuff so these high social numbers should be discussed by scientists and, you know, uh, sociologists and so forth. They're like, well, how much of this is because parents are just saying, you know, here, use this product instead of trying a cigarette. Right. There's of course, you know, there's the hard issue of, you know, if the, if the parents know that their kid is smoking, you know, and they don't want them to smoke and they want them to choose something else, you know, that is really a tough issue. And I think, you know, where we stand at CV is still, you know, uh, you know, the product is for adults only, right? And and we have to really make sure that, um, you know, these products remain that way. You know, when we look at social sales, I think one of the key things that we have to really address is how can we make it much tougher to access these products um, outside the outside of Canada, right? Because I think one of the key things is, you know, it doesn't stop anyone from ordering this product online, right? Whether it's from the United States or overseas, um, and it can just come right through to Canada and people can buy buy these products and then start selling them to, to underage uh, minors. Um, and that's something that we really need to control or even minors buying them to themselves. Um, you know, I think we really need to look at, you know, on a, at a federal level, how we can put these restrictions in place where these products are, are basically have to be screened before they can enter the country, right? Um, you know, and I, I think that's really important that um, in order to ensure that we comply with the TVPA, we need to make sure that the products coming in are compliant. That is a really major concern that we're looking at is really um, anything coming to the country or even if a minor, like I always talk about this a lot uh, in front of government is it doesn't really stop them from going to, you know, a, a Walmart buying a prepaid credit card and then going on fast tech or any other website uh, in the United States or internationally and buying whatever they want. Um, and, and that's how easy it is to really get access to these products. And we need to make sure we put measure in place to stop that. 
Right. Right. You know, there's uh, another issue, Sam, with regards to the Canadian Tobacco and Nicotine Survey that I wanted to make sure that we talk about before we jump into um, our other conversation here uh, with regards to some of the uh, issues around Nova Scotia and PEI and so forth. So let me just bring this up. And so from the Canadian Tobacco and Nicotine Survey, so the summary results for 2019, we're just going to scan all the way down to the bottom. And this is, so there was the vaping sources and reasons for use. Reasons for use was another very interesting thing. Among Canadians aged 15 years and over, so let me just use the 15 and the 19, the most commonly reported reasons for vaping among youth aged 15 to 19 who used a vape past 30 days were curiosity, 29%, because they enjoyed it, 29%, and to reduce stress, 21%. Now, within enjoyed could be flavors, but there is no you know, clear carve-out here for flavors where you know, curiosity still remains you know, the number one thing. And uh, well, address that first, and then we'll do the last bit here on, on this study. arguments when we come to, you know, enjoying and, you know, adults enjoy flavors. Uh, you know, everyone enjoys flavors. I think one of the most important things is, you know, when we look at provinces like, you know, Nova Scotia banning flavors outright, you know, we're not really considering, you know, how many millions of uh, Canadians have switched because, you know, there's played an important role. We keep addressing, you know, the uh, Health Canada survey that acknowledges that, right? The postcard campaign acknowledges you know, more than 90% of the users, I think it was close to 95% of the users um, use flavors, right? In which, you know, more than two thirds of that was fruit. Um, and of course the rest were desserts and, and so forth. Um, so that already acknowledges that flavors play an important role to adult vapors, right? And I think one of the key things is how we would address that, of course, is to control access again, get much more harder for, for you to obtain these products. Um, but I think, you know, flavors, right? We know how important it is to transition, you know, and, and it's really quite interesting. You know, my dad's been smoking for more than 30 years and behold and behold, what really converted him was a great flavor, right? So we have to understand that no one really enjoys tobacco flavors, Brent, is just because tobacco cigarettes was what they were smoking. They were addicted to the nicotine. Um, find a product that uh, of course satisfies their addiction you know um you know and uh, and it's enjoyable at the same time with a great flavor that's how you're going to transition a lot of adult smokers like my father sure um you know and you know it's funny because you know when i think about it sometimes i'm you know he didn't ask for tobacco you know he just basically i gave him you know uh, a bag full of um vapes and he vaped it and he said hey you know this is actually enjoyable well, right, so <laughs> really need to address that, and those statistics really play an important role. Right, more than ninety percent old vapors uh, that were former smokers um, vape flavors, and tobacco is not one of the top selling ones. It no. represents only five percent. So I think it's really important for governments to really look at that, and even you know governments like Nova Scotia and PEI, right, um, banning flavors. Um, you know, you're really forgetting what has helped uh, when it comes to transitioning a lot of the smokers in Canada, um, you know, we have to really consider that. And I think uh, we need to get the governments to understand those, especially those who are looking to 
um, impose favor bans is to reconsider and really do your research and data, right? Mm -hmm. So the assault uh, on vaping, you know, continues in earnest and Nova Scotia is one of the hotbeds. Um, and uh, so we're going to be doing a piece, I can't say exactly when, hopefully shortly, right? So we're going to be interviewing, uh, doing a legal episode. So we're going to interview Audrey Bachter again and have her back on the show and discuss the efforts in Quebec to with that challenge that's going on. And we're also going to pair a discussion with Nova Scotia and hopefully get the Nova Scotia lawyers, maybe even the plaintiffs in the Nova Scotia case. So part of our plan here, Sam, is for you to give us a little bit of a preview so um, I can use that to kind of tease um, what we might be doing. So with PEI, just briefly, what exactly is going on there? Um, how is PEI being obstinate? Uh, PEI, uh, I think about three to four times, and I've met with different uh, levels of government there. And what's really interesting is I did uh, have the privilege to meet with the health minister, uh, Health Minister Allward, and, uh, you know, myself and, of course, our Atlantic chair. Uh, you know, we, we did present, uh, you know, of course, our, uh, you know, our position, policy recommendation, how PEI can really uh, control and, of course, uh, in terms of access of vaping products. I mean, there's only seven vape shops on the island of PEI, right, which is extremely, um, I would say, the government would be able to control how the products are being sold. Um, the products, uh, you know, are, of course, you know, it's not going to be hard for them to, to, to regulate and enforce seven vape shops. And we really thought the government was leaning towards the direction and policy that we put forward because there was no mention when it comes to banning flavors really mentioned when they put forward the regulations. Uh, and of course, their intent to regulate the industry, I believe, back in January. Right. And I think this really comes as a surprise because, you know, uh, retailers were sent a notification um, recently that, uh, you know, they have until March 1st, 2021. Uh, to sell whatever inventory they have, and uh, favors are going to be banned, um, and of course not allowed in PEI. And you know, of course, we have engaged uh, with the health minister and acknowledged, uh, you know, that um, you know we just taken, and that you know we asked the government to reconsider um, that uh, you know continue to allow flavors uh, to be sold in age-restricted environments. Because, um, Brent, you know, what's interesting is back in January, they announced that vaping products were banned in non-age-restricted stores. So that would mean that convenience and gas stations can't sell the product. Only vape shops. And we thought we were really moving towards the right direction, uh, that the government was going to, you know, look at the Ontario model and really pave a pathway where these products are available, um, you know, through age-restricted channels. Um, but that wasn't really the case. And I think, you know, we're quite disappointed um, that the government didn't uh, reconsider, you know, the you know, thousands of, of um, where they do rely on flavors uh, to, of course, um, transition themselves out of smoking cigarettes, that they're not going to be able to purchase these products in PEI. Right? And I think what, where we need to address to the government again is, you know, there's then opens to the black market, opens to where they're going to go and try to find the flavors outside of PEI. And it really push, um, puts, uh, um, of course, local disadvantage where they can't even supply products to 
to their clients, right? So I think there, there's some major issues at hand here. Uh, and we do not want the government to fall in the same footsteps of Nova Scotia. No. And uh, you are the king of segues, my friend. So in Nova Scotia, uh, here is a little announcement just re- with regards to the legal challenge. The Cloud Factory Vape Shop Inc. and Edward George William McEckern versus the Attorney General of Nova Scotia. Patterson Law was retain- retained to bring an application in court in the name of the Cloud Factory Vape Shop Inc., etc. The application challenges recent legislative amendments impacting specialty vaping stores in Nova Scotia. And this is what it's at, you know, at issue is the ban on the sale of flavored vaping liquid, uh, the ban on testing products in specialty vape stores, and uh, the tax under the Revenue Act, which requires vaping liquid to be taxed at a rate of 50 cents per milliliter, regardless of the concentration of nicotine in the subject liquid and vaping devices and components to be taxed at a rate of 20% of their suggested retail price. So we're talking about, you know, a very major tax here, and then also, you know, the the flavor ban. Tax makes absolutely no sense. You know, 50 cents per milliliter would put a bottle at almost $60 a bottle. Uh, it would put vaping more expensive than smoking cigarettes. Where, um, you know, when we talk about harm reduction, that defeats the whole purpose. We're, we're technically, you know, if we look at the, the Nova Scotian regulations, we're literally driving people back to smoking cigarettes. You know, how could you tax vaping products to be more expensive than a pack of cigarettes? And it makes absolutely no sense. And if we, if many of them follow the footsteps of not only British Columbia and, of course, Ontario regulations, where we restrict these products to, um, of course, uh, age-restricted stores, you know, we can still have a pathway for a lot of these adult vapors. Right now, you know, it's sad to see, you know, we talk about deadlines and, of course, the Nova Scotia, uh, when it comes to the taxation deadlines, I believe that they're being implemented tomorrow, yeah. um, is uh, not only that, but a number of vape shops are closing tomorrow, right? And I can tell you, you know, we're probably going to be left with not many vape shops in the province of of, uh, it's a and I think the government needs to really understand that you know how could you impose such an you know on the industry where you've literally uh, there's no flavors there's nothing available and I think really uh, when they look at the numbers and when they look at the statistics and revenues I think they're they're really going to see that right and I'm really curious and we all I think we're all curious to see Where's tobacco sales in Nova Scotia, right? What's the status of tobacco sales? Because these regulations are, you know, really paving the path pathway for increase in tobacco sales, right? Um, Scotian government took those steps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's concerning, no doubt. And having a patchwork of of yes vape provinces, no vape provinces, all that kind of stuff. I mean. That just doesn't work. And, you know, when you want to, cre- if you want to create black markets and, and uh, confusion and openings for people to do dastardly things, you know, there's nothing better than have different rules and regulations, uh, you know, as you move across the country. And uh, I know for me, just, you know, on a side thing, again, as a consumer, and I, you know, because I am a consumer, I'd like to, you know, talk about that as much as possible. Certainly with BC, you know, I've got my home vape shop. And uh, Thunderbird Vapes, you know, Stacey Brendan, big thumbs up. Uh, and, you know, it's hard for me to be like buying my juice 
at a higher NIC level at a province and have it sent in without feeling like a total heel, you know, to the vape shop that, you know, got me off of cigarettes. So, you know, that's my concern is that it's just, it's hard for a lot of people. Right. You know, we, we can't uh, ignore like someone like yourself, you know, um, you know, or nicotine, right, to get to, to of course, um, uh, work for you, right? And, and we, we can't really ignore those that smoke two, three packs a day. There's no doubt they're going to require more nicotine, right? And, and I think, you know, there's always that hard issue of, you know, when we talk to government is, you know, if it's not the nicotine, then it's the flavors, sure. right? And I think one yeah. of the key things that we can understand with the industry is we've been quite innovative for the past seven years. There's no doubt we can innovate products that will of course, the nicotine satisfaction, right? But at the same time, be compliant to government regulations. Um, but you're right. I think, you know, um, when we think about these things, I think one of the key things is going back to talking to the federal government is, you know, we have all these regulations that are being put in place, even at the provincial level. What we really need is the government to give us time, right? You know, don't, reg- don't regulate us anymore. Once you put forward the regulations, give us time two years from now. Right. Let's see where the status and, and these studies show, um, then we can go back and see, hey, you know, if there's a decline in youth uptake um, and, you know, and there's significant harm reduction benefits for a lot of former smokers, you know, we really need to look at that, right? I think we've been kind of, um, you know, I, w- I would say a lot of regulation before in the industry, and we really need time to digest all of that, yeah. right? Totally. And let me just say that, you know, I obviously we've been uh, covering CVA for a long time and you guys have been a close ally of reg watches and you know i think you guys are doing a great job and in a world where it's you know gone crazy over the last couple of years you daryl sean casey the whole group so you know it's not giving you a hard time at all i know that this is a tough thing it is one of the key things is you know we want to strike a balance to you know ensure you know we play our role uh to to ensure that we minimize youth uptake right and of course uh, be a contributing factor towards that, right? We put a lot of policy when it comes to things like age verification, um, a lot of things that we can look at, you know, Canada Post uh, digital proof of age. That was something that we mentioned to Health Canada, you know, a few years back that, hey, you know, we if we can put restrictions on delivery, it would be great. Um, so we, we do want to be compliant. And I think one of the key things is um, we can see that, Canadian vape industry is very different than uh, what we've been seeing uh, in a lot of parts of the world. The the government, uh, you know, is uh, quite strong when it comes to enforcement. And I think what we also show is that we also want to comply, right? And I can say I had a lot of number of BC vendors contacting me and saying, Sam, you know, I want to be compliant, but I'm, I'm confused on what I need to do to be compliant. You know, what should I do? You know, a lot of people are really asking us for guidance, right? And we're doing the best that we can to guide them. And, you know, I can really only tell, you know, everyone else in the industry is, um, especially those that are watching, you know, like Ryan and themselves, you know, we, we are we are going to get answers from the BC government. You know, the only thing I can do is we're doing the best that we can. And, you know, we're, we're just going to have to sit tight um, and, uh, you know, provide some confidence that, you know, the government's not going to start enforcing the industry uh, without clarity on the regulations. Right. And if we're going to see any changes. Um, based on the request that we've made, you know, we, we are going to see them. And I think the most important thing is we're just going to have to wait um, and to see what unfolds. Excellent. Excellent. 
Well, Sam, thanks a lot for coming back on the show, and let's uh, cross our fingers for tomorrow. 